You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Advait Shinde, co-founder and CEO of GoGuardian. Advait co-founded GoGuardian to provide K-12 schools with new technologies that enable students to engage in a better learning experience. His dedication to help unlock student potential in education is made clear through his mission of using the internet in an open but safe way. In his role as CEO of GoGuardian, Advite brings his passion for using data and technology to solve problems in education. Based on his accomplishments in education and technology, he was selected for the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for education in 2016. He was a finalist for the Los Angeles Business Journal CTO of the Year in 2017 and a finalist for Ernst & Young's prestigious Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Greater Los Angeles in 2018. Now, the company GoGuardian helps thousands of K-12 schools and districts maximize the learning potential of every student by providing solutions that enable more productive and safer digital learning. Its products help educators identify learning patterns, protect students from harmful and distractive content, and supports mental health. Advait, thank you so much for joining us here on Remote Possibilities. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. I guess the first question I've been asking everyone is kind of the uh, where were you when moment uh, when uh, sometime in mid-March uh, when everyone's minds started to grapple around that this wasn't going to be a temporary thing, but, uh, you know, the situation we're in now. Yeah. Um, so this kind of started for me in, in the January time frame. Uh, I was actually in India for a friend's wedding and uh, I was reading a lot of the reports coming out of China around the virus and the relative kind of, uh, I don't know, people weren't really talking about it or thinking about it in America, but because India is sort of very close to China, uh, it was it was very much top of mind there. Managed to make it back to America before any of the shutdown started over here. Uh, and I guess things continue to escalate weekly until that sort of crazy experience in, in March when the NBA shut down, LAUSD shut down, and uh, yeah, it was pretty significant. And how about with um, your customers? So I, I've been speaking with a number of uh, tech directors around the country uh, to when they were preparing for spring break, and then all of a sudden they are automatically entered into this remote learning beta test um, without any preparations at all. Is that something that you had to respond to as, as a company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing is that as an internet filtering company, we collect a lot of data about uh, just general technology usage uh, across all of K-12. And, and so we just saw this like cliff of, of a drop uh, in that week of March when schools started to shut down and not really come back from spring break. Uh, we reached out to a number of school districts, but in the beginning, it was sort of very, uh, uh, I, I guess, kind of a panic and and unprecedentedness and, and lack of clarity on their part on, on what to do next. Uh, eventually, some schools started to shift towards uh, distance learning and, and things like that. And over time, eventually, more or less, uh, most schools got there. Uh, 
Uh, and then after that, we we essentially start saw the start of summer and uh, fast forward a couple of months and, and we're here and we're already starting to see some schools, school districts elect to start back to school a little bit early. So uh, it's been a very interesting experience. Yeah, one, one interesting thing I found in conversation was that uh, a lot of districts considered their remote learning uh, experiment a success if only by the fact that they were able to stay connected to their students. And, you know, in my description of Go Guardian, you know, part of the things that you describe about your company is it's the importance of supporting mental health in students. How, how important did that become uh, in your conversations with customers? Yeah, it, it became incredibly important. I, I think if there's a sort of Maslow's hierarchy as it relates to learning, the, the full self-actualization of students is is like one of the, the final steps and the sort of preceding prerequisites include everything from kind of basic safety or in the, in the modern world, you might even say like Wi-Fi or connectivity. Uh, but then also things like psychological well-being are absolutely a prerequisite in order for students to truly self-actualize. That's something that we're aware of and, and motivated by, particularly because of how widespread compromised student mental health is actually in K-12. Uh, and so to the extent that we can preemptively identify students that are in, in need of help and get them the resources uh, to, to materially change the trajectory of their lives is, is something that we're deeply passionate about. And so when we saw the, the shift towards distance learning, uh, it was sort of, it coincided with all of our shifts to working remotely as well. Uh, and I think if you ask all of us, the experience has worked in that we're still able to be productive, but from a psychological well-being perspective, it's sort of slowly eating away at every single one of us. Um, and I, we know for certain that that experience is true of students as well, particularly students that were re recently graduating and expecting to have this time with uh, their friends and, and things like that, being forced to be stuck at, at home. Uh, having perhaps a, a less than engaging educational experience with all sorts of mishaps from a technology perspective, all of it. Uh, and then you kind of combine the, the physical health perspectives as well with the actual virus and all of it combines to a very interesting constellation of, of uh, challenge that's unprecedented for everyone and especially students. And so the idea that this would have a, an impact on mental health was sort of very clear to us and uh, very clear to a lot of schools as well, and and they continue to essentially use uh, some of our products to specifically focus on on identifying compromised mental health and, and helping students in this way. So the uh, the description I gave of Go Guardian uh, at the beginning, I'll assume was um, you know it was part of how the company was described pre pandemic. Um, give give us your description of how your company was twelve months ago and how it has changed uh, 12 months hence. Yeah. So when we originally started this company, it was started on a, a level of passion and optimism around just the internet and the, the potential of the internet to enable deeply engaging learning experiences for kids. Uh, when we were kids, we grew up uh, learning from the internet and compared to sort of our ordinary K-12 experiences, the, the content and the depth and the, all of the, the nuance and details and community that was available online uh, vastly exceeded the experiences that we were having in, in class. And so 
about five or six years ago when schools started adopting one-to-one programs, uh, we were really motivated by that shift because it meant that the internet was going to become more and more central to, to the learning experience of everyone. And that represented the possibility of further deepening student engagement for, for the whole population. And we wanted to play a part in that. And I guess what we realized was that uh, in any sort of big shift as it relates to technology, uh, there's a set of unprecedented adoption challenges that if they remain unaddressed could uh, prevent the full actualization of the potential of technology altogether. And, and to us, this, these challenges were primarily around, or at least initially around, how do we make sure that these devices are being used safely and productively? Um, the modern internet is full of educational and amazing content, but it's also full of really distracting content and potentially really harmful content as well, especially for, for young kids. And so if we're going to give the internet to a, a young kid, uh, we need to have a level of confidence that the, the device in the internet is going to be used safely and productively. And if it's not like the, the shift towards technology is basically like a non-starter. We, we can't really move forward. And, and so we identified that as like an important prerequisite that needed to be addressed. And we built a set of internet filtering and monitoring tools that were that essentially revolved around the nature of the modern internet as something that's very different from what we call, let's say like the old internet. And by that, I mean, the old internet is essentially just uh, maybe a bunch of, of URLs and news articles and things like that. Uh, and the, the domain name that you're on, like newyorktimes.com uh, or the actual URL tells you more or less everything you need to know about the content on the page. But if you think about the modern internet, especially with user generated content on things like Facebook and Reddit and YouTube and things like that, the amount of content that's is sort of growing exponentially. And so the old world methodology of creating approved lists and block lists of, of URLs and domains is essentially insufficient uh, just because it's impossible to pre-categorize everything. So we felt that if you, you genuinely had a desire to want to optimize for student productivity and safety, you couldn't rely on these outdated block lists and instead had to dynamically classify appropriateness of content purely based on the text that the students are looking at, which in many cases is user generated in real time. And so we built the internet filter basically on that basis. And all of a sudden is it was able to be a lot more precise around the actual filtering. But the most important thing that we're, we're actually the most proud of is that it resulted in far less blocking. Uh, and by that, I mean, there's actually huge chunks of the internet on things like Reddit, uh, which are potentially deeply educational in nature. Uh, but because Reddit also has a bunch of objectionable content as well, most old world internet filters ended up blocking Reddit. And to us, that was a, a huge tragedy because you could literally have uh, an ask me anything conversation with uh, a, an astronaut. Uh, and, and that experience is so empowering and engaging for, for a young kid that for that to be blocked because an internet filter is sort of naive in its approach was was a tragedy. And so as a result of implementing an internet filter like ours, we found that a lot of schools were able to unblock sites like Reddit. Uh, and and that, that was essentially our, our, our overarching motivation for why we wanted to build something like this to enable more engaging experiences. And so as a result of, of this shift towards distance learning and, and COVID, um, 
I think our products have been even more relevant because pretty much most, if not all of the learning experience has more or less shifted entirely online. And so the importance of creating a safe and productive learning experience, digital learning experiences is even higher because the entirety is happening in the context of these devices. So we have a, a number of other tools, including self-harm uh, and mental health detection, as well as classroom management, which I can get into. Uh, but that that's essentially how our business has shifted. It's less of like a directional shift in terms of what we're building and more of like a, a doubling down of the importance and the focus of why we're building these tools. Now, is it fair to me to describe um, your product uh, as a walled garden? I mean, is this something where the students are living within uh, a particular environment of the school that's on a school-issued uh, device? Um, yeah, so nowadays, uh, more and more schools are issuing devices instead of textbooks. Uh, as a result of the shift towards distance learning, a lot of schools have had to rely on students and families' personal devices to essentially fill in the short-term gaps. So our software essentially works on, on both versions. Um, eventually, in, in the more medium and long term, we expect that uh, all devices were, will continue to be issued by schools and essentially just managed centrally. So because in, in my uh, laboratory here with uh, three teenagers, one's in college and two's in high school, um, and they have the privilege of both uh, school-issued devices as well as personal devices. And um, one pivot for me was I was I was totally the screen police pre-pandemic, making sure that there you know there was limited screen time and what they were doing was right. Now, as we sit here and discuss, uh, they're all off on their screens, and I don't know what they're doing, and whether it's their summer work or or, or what it is. So, I mean, that's been a huge. Um, gamble since this whole thing has started, right? Where as parents become teaching assistants, how has that affected the use of your product? Yeah, so one of the pieces of functionality that we provide is the ability for parents to see what all the students are doing on their personal devices, as well as set limits on things like screen time. So when it's dinner time, for example, you can essentially turn off the internet and have family dinner. Um, we have seen a lot more use, obviously, along those lines. Um, I think in general, we've we've just seen like a, a massive increase or, or a change in, in usage overall. Uh, more and more uh, of the experience is shifting on towards like real-time video. For example, over 10% of, of cycles now, uh, based on the data that we're collecting, are spent on uh, online real-time video, which compared to... Uh, like the March pre-pandemic timeframe, uh, that number was less than uh, a tenth of a percent. And so it's just seen this massive change in terms of how the, the devices are actually being used both by in, in the context of families as well as in the context of learning as well. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit more about uh, other uh, bits of data that you've been able to collect. I'm sure you've been able to identify some pretty interesting patterns. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... You, it's, it's kind of natural and, and intuitive what you might expect, right? So uh, websites like YouTube, for example, uh, that sort of enable asynchronous learning uh, have, have increased in, in overall and as well as relative volume. Um, more kind of synchronous learning tools, for example, Kahoot and, and even Quizlet to a certain extent, uh, have, have massively decreased in volume. Um, 
I think overall volume has 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 sort of increased as well. I mean, the total amount of time students are spending on devices has, has increased. Um, and the actual distribution of the hours of the day of when students are online has also changed a lot as well. Students uh, are, are starting the day later, uh, but are also uh, spending a lot more time uh, in the afternoon and sometimes in, into the evenings as well. Uh, an, another interesting change is uh, the amount of like chat-based conversation between teachers and students has increased dramatically. Um, basically, th what this means is before where, where teachers and students were able to communicate in a obviously in-person and synchronous way, nowadays because of distance learning, uh, a lot of the sort of traditional class period is being blurred across the, the entirety of the day and teachers are making themselves available for uh, questions and things like that via chat. Uh, in, in many cases, like late into the evenings, as late as 8 or 9 p.m. local time. Uh, so we're seeing just like a complete change in terms of the, the experience, both for teachers as well as students across so many different dimensions. That reminds me of a story, uh, and this will date myself, but it was probably around 2010 listening to, I think it was David Warlick give a speech at a, at a visionary conference in Washington, D.C., where he described Twitter as this great tool that will enable teachers to communicate with their students whenever they wouldn't, whenever they wanted. It didn't have to be within the school hours. And the woman next to me nudged me and said, that will never happen in my schools. And at the time, the person was the president of the, um, the New Jersey Education Association, the Teachers Union. Uh, and in my coverage of education technology, and always being around enthusiasts of the technology, there always seemed to be an obstacle for people who didn't want to embrace the idea of teacher-student communication after school hours. That's obviously blown up now. Um, do you see that as something that will return to normal or are we in a new normal? Yeah, so I guess to the extent that we have social distancing implemented and, and many schools opting to, to go remote, uh, I think we're going to continue to see the dynamics that we've already seen around uh, the sort of change in terms of how students and teachers interact. Uh, I think it's it's sort of tempting to to kind of talk about this from a, a teacher union perspective, and uh, I think I have an alternative uh, mindset, which is to say that rather than think about this as like a net increase of time or obligation on the part of of the teacher, is there a way that we can think about uh, this sort of use of technology as an increase in leverage of the teacher's time? And, and by that I mean you can imagine in the synchronous world where uh, a science teacher has to teach three or even some cases like four or five uh, classes of, of science where in a lot of the actual class periods, the content that's delivered is more or less identical. Uh, in the asynchronous world, is it possible to essentially record one science lecture or, or perhaps even curate a collection of science videos on YouTube? And use that for all four or five of, of your actual class periods. Uh, and that way you can spend less time delivering synchronous learning experiences and spending more time uh, in this sort of interactive mode uh, in, in a different capacity. And so 
here I'm, I'm really tempted to think along those lines. And, and before, we've never really had the creative freedom to think about the, the role of the teacher from first principles. And where sort of everybody in this pandemic era is being, uh, is sort of, um, I don't know, obligated to, to step up in, in every capacity, whether it's healthcare workers or food service workers or, or teachers, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that the change in the environment uh, allows us to essentially rethink about the role of the teacher fundamentally and put more stock into more high leveraged ways that teachers can teach as well as deliver educational experience and sort of take chips out of the, the low leverage things like synchronous instruction. Let's take a look uh, forward to the fall. Uh, are, there, are there any insights that you have gleaned from the experience of your customers this spring um, that you can kind of look forward to helping in the fall do a better do a better job or improve whether it's a remote or hybrid learning experience? Yeah, so I think when everybody was sort of like subjected to like immediate remote learning in, in March, there wasn't enough time to properly plan what the experience should actually be like for students and teachers and everyone. And uh, now, given that we've had several months and, and an entire summer's time worth of planning, uh, as well as for us at GoGuardian, the ability to actually build features uh, specifically devoted for distance learning, uh, I think we're gonna expect a, a slightly more sophisticated and improved version uh, of the experience for uh, teachers and students in the fall. And, and some examples might be uh, in, in GoGuardian Teacher, for example, one of our products, uh, we've integrated full video conferencing. And so rather than having to switch between Zoom or Google Meet and, and GoGuardian Teacher, you can essentially access the, the entirety of like the classroom experience within just one product that was very intentionally designed for remote learning compared to Zoom and Google Meet, which are clearly designed for the sort of enterprise meeting environment. And so uh, a number of other uh, edtech vendors have sort of similarly made improvements and iterations on, on their platforms and workflows. Uh, and, and schools have had the chance to really think critically around uh, what they should focus on, uh, how do you think about like grades and attendance and things like that. And, and I think everybody across the board is, is going to be a little bit more thoughtful and sophisticated with regards to the experience uh, in the fall. Uh, now, that's not to say that everything is perfect. I think we're going to continue to see like struggles in the form of actual outcomes. Uh, and it's still an open question as to what we want to do as a society uh, to sort of remedy the gaps in the educational experiences that have resulted from COVID. Uh, but I am optimistic in that we continue to make progress and improvements on the experience. And to the extent that the virus sort of fundamentally prevents us from having the experience that we had pre-COVID, uh, we're going to have to deal with the situation and, and continue to make improvements and, and refine. Uh, and I'm hopeful that because it's essentially a forced experiment, that we're going to stumble across ways of doing things that are just more effective and, and more scalable than the ways that we've been doing things in the past. Uh, and while that's going to require a bit of struggle in the short term, I'm hopeful that in the, the medium and long term that we can really learn from this experience and, and do much better as a result. 
Well, that leaves me with uh, my glass half full. <laughs> That's, I always like to have these conversations and feel feel better at the end. But let me ask you one more question, and it revolves around um, learning loss. Uh, I've been reading a lot about that, discussing that a lot, about what that is and what it means. And there's lots of concern about continued uh, learning loss, especially when you uh, look at it from uh, uh, the angle of uh, digital equity. From GoGuardian's perspective, um, how do you define learning loss? What does your data say about it? And um, I guess the the, the $100,000 question is, what can we do about it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess at the highest level, you can think of the entirety of a kid's K-12 experience as consisting of a finite amount of hours. So you only have a certain... uh, amount of exposure to content or or learning experiences until you graduate. And so the onus is on us as a society to maximize the ROI on the amount of time spent in in education. Um, Because of COVID, we're sort of massively held back in terms of the effectiveness of these learning, learning experiences. And to the extent that a lot of learning is sort of prerequisite based, meaning a lot of these standards build upon prior standards and essentially like a a tree of knowledge of sorts, Um, your ability to kind of get to to deeper and deeper levels of this tree is compromised if you're sort of lacking and struggling on the more fundamental concepts. And so kids who are sort of learning formative math, for example, right now, uh, concepts such such as addition, subtraction, or or fractions, uh, these are such instrumental ideas that uh, you can't really move beyond into like things like algebra if, if you're kind of struggling with the core concepts. So uh, I think it's it's a very big open question. And uh, there have been crazy ideas like, do we add a, a 13th year to K through 12, to call it K through 13? Uh, or do we uh, push ourselves to sort of expedite subsequent years um, to uh, essentially push them to be more effective and, and elicit the same educational outcomes in less time. Uh, I don't think anybody has a clear answer, but what is clear is that we're, we're certainly getting less ROI right now in terms of amount of time spent in an educational context uh, in, in a way that's sort of unsustainable. But again, I'll, I'll kind of double down on my, my prior optimism. If you kind of zoom out and think of fundamental shifts that have happened in society, for example, the advent of the industrial revolution or more recently like the the mobile revolution where uh, so many businesses had to transform uh, in in order to kind of meet the the demands and the landscape of of this mobile world and in the process so many businesses ended up like dying because they they couldn't reinvent themselves in this new world uh, I think we're gonna have a similar kind of evolution. Uh, as a result of this experience in all domains and education just being one of them. And in that context, there's going to be a number of things that work tremendously well that end up being the seeds for how education of the future is, is conducted. But there's going to be a lot of uh, pain and struggle and, and systems and, and processes that end up kind of dying as a result of being ineffective. And uh, I think it's just a matter of all of us together thinking re- really critically about what's working and what's not working and essentially pushing forward and, and continuing to hold high standards around what the, the quality and effectiveness of the experience should be uh, so that the, the generation of tomorrow kind of 
has the best version uh, possible. Well, that's great. And uh, thank you, Advite, for, for coming on to the show. And thank you for your company's efforts uh, uh, over the years, but especially now uh, in this uh, precarious situation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a great discussion. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And I hope you find us again on another episode of Remote Possibilities. I'm Kevin Hogan.